Welcome to the Funding Love Podcast. I'm Mallory. And I'm Caitlin. We are two adoptive moms that seek to love, support, and elevate all corners of the adoption triad through honest conversation and interviews while running our nonprofit, Funding Love. Funding Love creates post-adoption experiences that strengthen bonds, build community, and restore people. We are Funding Love. Let's go. Welcome back to the Funding Love Podcast. We are on episode 10. Uh, Just a reminder, if you guys are enjoying the podcast, please don't forget to give us a five-star review and subscribe. It does help people find our podcast um, so others can enjoy what we're talking about. Uh, I am so excited about our guest today. My name is Caitlin. I am a co-host of this podcast. I am with my friend Mal. Hey, Mal. Hi, Kate. How are you today? I'm good. How are you? Awesome. And I'm really excited because we do have a great guest. She is a longtime friend of mine. Like, I met her when I was 12. (laughs) We went to middle school together. Uh, Her name is Julie Lindemann, and she is a wife and mom of four who is passionate about adoption. Her children are 10 and under, and two of her four children were adopted through foster care. Their family is passionate about travel because it helps them to focus on each other and create a bond while adventuring together. I love all of that about Julie, but I love so much more. Hi, Julie. Thank you for being on the podcast today. Welcome. Awesome. Thanks for having me, guys. Hey, Julie. And also, one thing that we must not forget is Julie sits on the board of Funding Love as well. Julie, what is your title? Let's tell the world. I am the Adoption Family um, Trip Coordinator. So I am excited about that, and I love planning those for our families every single year. Yeah, you do a phenomenal job at it. you're, You're a Disney fan, correct? Absolutely. I mean, you've been a Disney fan your whole life, right? Yeah, and we went, um, you know, probably, I would say, five to ten times when I was a kid. Um, But then when we had kids, um, we kind of just started going, and our kids fell in love with it, and it's close by, and so we just keep visiting and having fun. (laughs) Yeah, I feel like I remember that your senior trip. Like, didn't you drive down to Disney for your senior trip? I feel like I was invited and I wasn't allowed to go. (laughs) (laughs) That's probably right. Probably right. But yeah, it was. Um, We stayed with my friend Allison's aunt. um, And I think she worked at, um, I think it was Typhoon Lagoon, if I'm not mistaken. And um, so um, went down with her and my friend Michelle. And we went to like, a couple parks. We had little matching senior shirts and, you know, did a few parks and just had a lot of fun when we were down here or down in Orlando. So not to like age us, Caitlin, but like (laughs) that was a long time ago because that was when Disney Springs was called downtown Disney and the marketplace. And I think that Julie, correct me, wasn't like Pleasure Island still a thing? Yeah, it was. It was. We went dancing one night. Animal Kingdom had just um, opened. And so yes. we went and visited that. So yeah, it's it's crazy to think about how long ago it was. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I just do not feel that old. I don't. I still feel like I'm, you know, 18. <laughs> well, it's your, it's your word, Mal. You can live however you want. 18 it is. <laughs> and here we are. Both of us moms, moms of four. So, and you just had your, your, your fourth one is very little. You just had a baby. That's right. He is 10 and a half weeks old at the time of the recording. So he is a little doll. A little nugget. He's so cute. So Julie, why don't you tell us a little bit more about yourself and, um, 
give us some fun facts in there, but also let us know how you came, because you said you adopted two of yours out of foster care. I remember watching you walk through that with your husband, Chris, and um, share a little bit with our listeners about like what led y'all to start the foster care journey. Yeah, so um, we had our first daughter, Claire, um, and kind of got to that age where you start talking about the second. Um, and as we got to that point, we just had a conversation about, hey, you know, we, we kind of always wanted to adopt. What would it look like to adopt now? And maybe not necessarily like at like the end, like instead of putting it off, like, which is, I think a typical like thought process that a lot of people have is like, oh, well, whenever we get towards the end, that's when we'll do adoption. And then, so we had a conversation about that and we decided to go to some info meetings. And so when we went to that info meeting, we learned that there was like really three different main kinds of adoption, um, domestic infant adoption, um, international, and then through the foster care system. And so as we thought about and prayed about, you know, which direction would we want to go? Um, we really felt drawn through the, the foster care side because what struck a chord for us was that, um, you know, they talked about how uh, siblings will typically get separated in the system. Um, and so we, we felt like, well, if we have one child, then we actually have room for two more. And so um, we really felt like, hey, let's reach out and let's put that we would be open and willing to have siblings um, in our home. And so, um, when we did that, um, we actually started off on a road with an agency that was really focused on adopting children from foster care whose parental rights had already been terminated. And so that removes, um, a little bit of what people would see as like a risk, like with uh, them going back to families and things of that nature. There's still like some process and legalese and things like that that go on. But um, we went to a matching event. We met some kids. We put in on probably six different kids and then never got a single call on any of them. And so we, you know, we didn't know what to take of that. We were just going to go to another event. And about that same time, we transitioned churches. And um, that church started to partner with a placement agency for foster care and I was the person who started off saying, like, I never want to be a foster parent. Like, that is definitely something I do not want to do in any way, shape, or form. And as um, that church was kind of partnering with this organization, the Lord really just softened our heart to actually being foster parents and seeing what what he had for us at that process. And so we did. We signed up. <laughs> We moved um, agencies and we said, okay, we're in, we're going to be foster parents. And um, it took us probably about a year and a half from the time that we went to that first informational meeting to the time that we were approved and sitting there waiting for a call. And with foster care, it's, it's really wild because they call you and they basically say, here's all we know. And sometimes it's like, here's the kid's name and age. Wow. Mm -hmm. Here's where they're from. Like, I mean, they, they almost know nothing some of the times. And they say, here's what we got. Um, are you in? <laughs> and you have <laughs> um, sometimes a couple hours to make the decision. And sometimes they'll show up that night. And sometimes it'll show up in a couple, they'll show up in a couple days. Like every situation is completely different in foster care. There's really no like pattern or process to the whole thing. And so 
we got a call on a Tuesday evening um, letting us know about two siblings um, that were age three and a half and 20 months. And our daughter at the time was three and a half. Um, so um, it was all right there in the same age range. And so that they were with an emergency placement and they were going to be, they needed a permanent home on Thursday. And so we said yes. And on Thursday after court, um, the caseworker brought Lily and Elijah to our home and they have been with us um, ever since. Um, they, wow. yeah, so they actually ended up living with us for two and a half or so years as foster children. And then their parental rights were terminated. And so it took a little less than a year to finalize from that point. Um, and okay. we finalized their adoption in June of 2019. So okay. that's kind of the long story. <laughs> yeah. But it had a lot of ups and downs in the middle of it. <laughs> that's a long process. Yeah. And I had a question come to mind. So like, was the training that and the classes that you had to go through on the front end, was it different for when you were going through to get a child whose parental rights had already been terminated versus going through the actual foster care system? Were those two separate things or was it all kind of the same? Good question. Um, so it was actually the same. Um, it's called impact training in the state of Georgia where we um, are, and I'm not sure about elsewhere. Um, but that training actually transferred cause we actually physically moved agencies and had to redo, um, most, all of the paperwork that we had originally done. So, oh, wow. um, there was a little bit of a time process just to move the paperwork, but our, since we taken the class already, that actually did transfer. Well, we know, um, just from, you know, kind of being in the adoption world and, you know, knowing you closely that there is trauma, um, in the foster care system. Do they train you for that? <laughs> Let me just ask you that. Is there any sort of, when you're in that beginning training, do they talk about these children that could enter your home that have experienced trauma? Um, like speak into that because I know that that is a big thing that um, maybe going into it as a new foster parent or um, a future foster parent might be naive to that or belittle that word. Like, oh, trauma. Oh yeah, I know they might have trauma, but mm, speak into that. Like, it, is there training? Did you feel prepared for that? So yes, they do train you and they do talk a lot about trauma. Um, the design of those, um, and it's an extensive training. Um, each, each agency does it a little differently. Sometimes I've heard it on, you know, three or four Saturdays in a row. Some people do it in like one huge, like Friday night, all day Saturday. And most of the day Sunday, like huge, like marathon training, but it talks a lot about all the whole spectrum of what um, different um, disorders someone could have or what challenges, what trauma looks like, what life experience a child might have had previously because um, they don't assume that you have had exposure to really any of the things that, um, you know, these kids might have potentially seen. So um, they do kind of red flag like, hey, these are the things you are potentially going to expect to see, but I would say that I don't think anybody can be trained <laughs> enough to actually understand and feel what it feels like when to actually have that child in your home, um, and to be dealing with the, uh, um, effects of trauma. Um, you do also as a foster parent have to do, um, ongoing training. Um, pro I think it's a, I think it was about 15 hours every year we had to do of ongoing training. 
Um, and so we would pick different training opportunities that would match what we could do like with our schedule and also try to find some that were topically related to what we were experiencing because trauma can really have a huge spectrum. Um, it can be, you know, uh, just a reaction to, to food. It can be reactions to weather. It can be a smell in your home. It can be all the way up to like, I'm triggered by basically everything in the whole world, you know, is what wow. it feels like <laughs> when you're standing there. Yeah. But, and you don't know what, what you're going to get in a lot of times. Um, because when a child comes into your home, um, they always say that there's like a honeymoon period. Um, the first like week or two roughly that you have them where everything, they're just happy. They're like, Oh, this is great. It's like, it's like I'm living at a, on vacation or, or something of that nature. And then it kind of like sinks in that like, this is where I'm going to be. Um, particularly like when we, we had small children that, that had never been in the system before. And so that Mm -hmm. concept of like what it was, (laughs) what this was and how long it was going to be, um, that hadn't set in. And then when it does set in, then that's when, you know, you really start seeing, um, what, what starts to impact them. And it changes over time. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, I was naive to that the whole thing that you just said. It could, it could be, um, a, a type of cereal or it could be a smell. Like you said, it could be, um, a song on the radio. It could be, it's so it's, I, I, I honestly never would have realized that, that those are the small triggers that then is, you know, the whole home can experience the effects of that trauma then. Wow. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, yeah, I, I think you're right. I don't think there's any amount of training that could really prepare you for that. Knowledge is good, right? And being aware of it is good, but there's really no true preparation for it. You know what I mean? Speaking to all, you know, all different stories in the, you know, of these of foster children, there's so many different stories, so many different um, trauma, traumatic experiences they can go through. You know what I mean? Trauma isn't just one finite thing. It's huge spectrum, like you were saying. So, yeah, I would say that one of the surprising things that you find out about, um, trauma is that it, it impacts everything in a person's life. A lot of times, um, trauma, a person, let's put it this way. A person is naturally wired to want to, um, connect with someone and to, to, you know, be a part of a family and things like that. And when trauma comes into play, um, it, like rewires their brain to protect themselves. You know, um, we always talk about fight, flight, or flee as like a a natural reaction. So when I start feeling myself going that direction, like my kids or whatever, I say, you know, you're starting to, to do these things, like what triggered you? Let's figure that out. And so, um, it's interesting to, to see over these years, like you know, something that bothered them when they were like little kids, um, actually can still bother them as like a big kid. And they may know that it's going to bother them. And they, but sometimes like you, you physically can't stop the reaction. And so, um, because it's just, it literally rewired your brain. And so to teach them the skills necessary to be able to identify is, is almost one of the hardest things, um, when you're working with a kid, um, and raising a kid with a, with trauma is, is like really like, Hey, let's, let's notice when I'm reacting this way. And then once I notice that, then I can actually respond because as soon as they like actually realize what they're doing, 
a lot of times they can start to will themselves backwards. Like they've, they've learned enough over time, but it's very, it's the, the noticing of I am responding in trauma uh, or from my trauma or, or from that place in my brain, then that's the hardest part in my opinion. Mm -hmm. It definitely, it definitely adds like another layer of parenting where you are helping to equip them with tools in their own personal tool belt um, of like, when I start feeling these feelings or seeing these behaviors in myself, how can I like use a tool to help me figure out why and then, you know, help me to navigate that. So it's just like all these different parenting layers. And I mean, we have seen so many different, I mean, when you're talking about like all the different types of trauma, like even just with our funding love families and the families that we've sent with children that have been adopted out of foster care, like the stories can be night and day. And yet there's just this common thread of like your previous experiences play such an impact in who you are and the way you behave and the things that, that cause you joy or pain or fear or, you know, all of these different things. It's just the gamut is like, is massive <laughs> of all the different things. Like no two stories, like you were saying before, are alike. That's right. Mm -hmm. And I would say, too, another surprising thing for me as a parent is um, uh, it really starts to make you consider for yourself, like what kind of um, things you might be carrying or why you respond in a certain way. Because um, when you have a child that is uh, responding and acting in trauma, you have to have a lot of like self-restraint and that doesn't naturally come to you. And if you've never been in a situation where you've had to restrain yourself, um, before in, in that kind of a manner, um, it really makes you look at your own, like, Hey, why am I responding this way? Why did that potentially trigger something in my brain? Um, and, and I, you know, had a, a good upbringing and, and home life, but we still have things that in our brain, it just, it's going to, it's going to set us off. Every person in this world has some kind of trauma or trigger point that, that they may or may not even realize is their trigger point. And so, um, that was a big thing for us. And then I would say, you know, another piece that I learned in parenting is that it's not my job to fix them. It's my job to teach them and to love them. Um, and in the beginning, I always, I felt like it was my job. Like I needed to fix them and help them and like do all these things. But it's like, as I, as I learned and matured, it was like, no, my job is to like teach them and love them. Like, and then, you know, in my opinion, the Lord does the rest. Um, and, and the rest is up to them really and truly, no matter what age they are, the rest is completely and totally up to them. Wow. Yeah. That's a really great perspective because isn't it just in us all as parents to just want to help fix those problems? That's really hard. That's a really good word. <laughs> <laughs> Restraint. That's a good word too. I mean, that's something we could all practice, but yeah. I, I, I can't <clears throat> imagine myself being in that situation. Yeah, I think you learn probably a lot about yourself, like you were saying. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I imagine when there are things that trigger those um, trauma for the for, you know, any foster child, really, um, like it's unexpected. Like, I imagine you can't like predict it. So, you know, that that adds another layer of um, anxiety, just like underlying anxiety that I'm sure that, you know, for that you want to protect them, you're trying to protect yourself, you're trying to protect your family in any situation. So that's um, just like this. 
I don't know, I guess this, I don't know a word to describe no. it, maybe like a cloud yeah. of anxiety that's kind of there that you don't, you're trying to handle and manage and ignore, but it's there, you know? Absolutely. Like, um, I, I really learned pretty early on that you had to let go of what you perceive other people's opinions are of you. Um, you know, there's, there are moments when I remember like pulling my screaming child to like the corner of a store and just like letting them stand there and like cry and calm down because I knew that until they calmed down, they weren't going to be able to hear me. Um, they weren't going to be able to calm themselves. We weren't going to be able to go forward. And I know that there were people that walked by me and was probably like, why is that lady not disciplining that child? But the reality is, is that discipline would have compounded the situation because they aren't even thinking in their right mind when they're losing it like that. And so I had to pull them to the side and let them calm down first and really like, you know, say to myself, like, I'm doing the right thing. I'm doing the hard work. Um, I, I always, um, identified with, um, like Brene Brown's work and the man in the arena, um, that poem. And like, Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm the person that's in the arena. And if someone is walking by and they're in the cheap seats, then they don't get to have a say so in the way that I'm dealing with this Mm. situation. So, Mm -hmm. but that is not an easy place to come to. No, that's where the restraint comes in. That's the restraint right there. Because mm-hmm. yeah. we already feel that as mothers anyways. Like we're always feeling like eyes are on us, especially in public places and like judgment and you're not doing this right or you're not doing that right, no matter how you do it, right? And then that, yeah, adds on another layer. But um, yeah, knowing that it's like you got to let that go because you have to do what's best for your child. So who cares what that stranger thinks, you know? So you guys are a traveling family. And it was another thing that I really wanted to share on this podcast, because that's a reason why you help us out at funding love. Not only do you have tons of like Disney experience and experience being a travel agent yourself. Um, but you've traveled a ton with your family. I mean, y'all have gone all over, you've gone to Hawaii, you've gone to Alaska, y'all gone all over the U S I know you personally have gone on like European trips and things. And I just love that. It's like, from the outside looking in, and I, I guess you could speak into this, it almost feels like it's like a core value in your family, like the travel and the world experience and life experience that you get from travel. And you really didn't stop doing that too much when, even when you were fostering. So how did that work? How do you travel with foster children? Is there special permission you have to get? So like before we talk about like what it's like to travel with foster children or children with trauma, like for someone that's going through the foster care, or considering foster care, how do you even continue traveling with a foster child in your home? No, that's a great point. And yes, I would say that travel is definitely a core value for us. Um, we think that it's so important to um, see the world and to, to be outside of where you are in your immediate circle. Because when you are outside your like home space, then it really puts you in this place where you can grow, you can learn, you're not comfortable and um, it, it pushes you outside your boundaries and helps you appreciate the world and, and other people and other perspectives. So mm, I love definitely that. a core value. Um, as far as traveling with foster kids, um, you do have to have the permission of their biological parents most of the time. Um, sometimes um, sometimes the, the state can sign off on travel or things of that nature. Um, but you have to stay within like, you know, the U S 
um, when you travel with, with foster kids. That was the rule that we were told. Um, maybe, maybe other states or other regions or districts will have different, you know, r- rules, but where we were, it was like it had to be in the U.S., and um, we did have to have permission to travel. So um, anytime we wanted to take a trip, I had to let our caseworker know, and she would ask um, the birth parents um, or birth, birth mom and um, get permission, and then we would have this um, letter that they would type up showing that we had permission to take the kids wherever we were taking them. Um, now, how long does that process take? Is that quick? Is that something you can say, oh, we want to go to Disney next week? We can get this done, or is it like a, a month-long thing? It was pretty quick. A lot of times oh, okay. we would have something within a week or two. I tried to always give as much notice as possible, um, uh, and it really just depends on the willingness of your caseworker and the agency to like move things along for you. Like There are going to be some probably that drag their feet, but there are others that understand that this is important, and thankfully, um, they're my, my kid's birth mom always, um, had the opinion that she wanted them to be with us. Um, she trusted us and, um, she felt like her kids were safest with us rather than, um, in respite care with someone she didn't know. And we always would have made sure that the kids were in a good quality respite care, but we also, um, we wanted them with us. You know, that was what we desired, um, was for them to have these experiences and, and, you know, be a part of that too. So, um, you know, we were just thankful that she was always very willing to say yes on top of being able to have permission. Yeah, absolutely. So when you did travel with, you know, children that have experienced trauma, like what, what layers did that add to your travel? Well, lots of planning. Um, and, uh, you, you really kind of had to think about things ahead of time, um, and, and know what would or wouldn't you know, trigger them or, you know, there's just lots of different, lots of different things that you have to think about, um, to make it a trip that's going to be enjoyable for the entire family and to be, and to not just be something that triggers the child, you know, day Mm -hmm. after day after day, basically. So Mm -hmm. I guess it became easier as you got to know them better and knew what their triggers were, I'm sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Have you noticed um, from when you first met your children to, to where they are now traveling and those experiences you have as a family, say at Disney or even other places you've traveled the country and the world, do you feel like that is a healing experience for them? Do you feel like you've seen them grow through the travel? Um, you know, I mean, I, I think, you know, just as a person, it, it, it enriches my life, but specifically speaking for kids who've experienced trauma, do you recognize any healing? So for my kids, um, I always saw it as an opportunity to, um, one, it's, it's enjoyable and expands their horizons and does all the things that it would do for a child that isn't from a hard place. Um, Mm -hmm. but for, particularly for your, your kids that are from hard places, those kids, um, sometimes need safe and controlled ways to be able to, um, practice being in a different environment, practice Mm -hmm. changes, practice, um, you know, being outside their comfort zone because ideally the longer they're with you and they're in your home, they, they start to understand that that is a comfort zone. But if they only live in a world in which they exist with no changes, 
um, and, and only in the comfort zone, then they won't have the skills necessary, in my opinion, as an adult to be able to navigate. And so, um, travel to me is something that is fun, but it also pushes them outside of that comfort zone so that they can practice those skills. And so sometimes that you're going to have meltdowns. Sometimes you're going to have, you know, things that, that don't go right. But, um, when you have this like level of, Hey, we could still salvage it with this level of fun. Or sometimes that's the, the carrot at the end of the stick for someone to be able to practice, you know, going outside their comfort zone. Um, you know, it's a big deal for a child to get on a, for some children to get on roller coasters or to go on, you know, whatever it is, but yet it yields something that's fun potentially for them as well. And so, um, it gives them an opportunity to practice the skills that they're going to need in life. Um, is, is yeah, what I, I think. I remember even with some of our funny love families, I think we've had maybe two now that adopted internationally and their kids were learning new skills like standing in line. Like they had mm. never really learned to stand in line and wait for something before. And, um, even like little things like that. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, sleeping on an airplane, like is a skill, like mm. sleeping in, not in your bed, like that <laughs> in is, your bed. Yeah. you know, how, how do you like say it's okay to sleep here? It's, this is a safe spot. And like, I can trust mm-hmm. you as a parent. Um, I mm-hmm. think it helps them forge a bond with the parent in trusting as well because um, they they don't necessarily know what to expect. And so they have to look to you to, to, to trust that you have things planned. And so that moves the relationship along in such a way that's going to benefit you in the long run. Mm-hmm. For sure. So what tips would you have for foster families or potential foster families um, for traveling with their kids? It's a great question. So, um, I was, I would say that I probably have three good tips, um, that I would offer up to them. Um, the first one I would say is to manage expectations. I think you have to manage your own personal expectations. Um, you have to be able to say to yourself, like, even if I don't get to the very favorite best thing on this trip, it's still going to be okay because travel is about the memories and experience and being with my people. Um, and so if something is very important, put it at the time where your kids are going to respond best and everything else, like, you know, just do your best to get to things. But if you don't, then you don't, you know, it's okay. Um, and I would say also manage your expected expectations of your kids' responses. Um, Mm -hmm. sometimes they're going to remember the pool more than the volcano you saw, (laughs) right? (laughs) That's just real life. And that's, that's real life with any kid, honestly, but, Mm -hmm. um, you know, you can't have this huge expectation that they're going to be like, that was a life changing experience, even if it was for you. Right. million percent. We, we saw, we were watching the air show today. I live in Fort Lauderdale and we have the air show. So these big huge jets are flying by it's really cool Libby remembered the leaf she found in the pool and you're like oh cool you know that's congratulations you know (laughs) so you're so right with that you have to with any kid but I'm sure it's even more so in your situation (laughs) yeah and I would say manage the expectations for the kids is also important so 
manage expectations for yourself and for the kids. Um, and the way I would do that with kids is I would say, have a detailed itinerary and review it with them. Um, tell them how you're going to be sleeping, who is traveling with you, are they going to get a souvenir? And if so, how many, um, what is expected of them with luggage? Um, this is, I would say this is a very important (laughs) one that we've learned the hard way. Um, don't let the first time that they push a suitcase be at the airport on the plane train. Um, (laughs) (laughs) that thing moves fast. Those doors close fast. (laughs) Yes. That was quite an experience. Um, (laughs) you know, you could also, I, I tell a lot of our funding love families, like if they have a child that is, you know, anxious about rides or something, um, you know, go on YouTube and every ride pretty much at Disney is, is on YouTube. So you can turn it on and let them watch it. And so they'll have this like picture in their mind ahead of time of what they're going to expect. So yes, they might still like get the experience or the thrill of something that's brand new, but it doesn't completely catch them off guard. So sure. So if managed expectations, sorry, is uh, the first one, I would say manage the schedule is my second tip. Um, I would say my biggest thing is like leave space for a meltdown. Don't over plan the day. Mm. Um, I try to limit us to like one major activity per day if we're going somewhere. Um, You know, have an exit plan. Like if things Mm -hmm. go downhill, um, where are you going? Are you going to a car? Are you going to the bathroom? Are you going to send one parent with the other kids and then one stay back? Like, what's your plan? Um, you know, I would say also, if your kid still takes naps, take the naps and build in breaks for the older ones if you need to. Um, they're still kids. They still need the regular things, but those are so much more important um, when you have a kid from a hard place. Um, and then my last tip I would say is just manage your day. Um review the plan for the next day, either that morning or the night before. Um, it gets like that in their mind that they know what to expect and you're reviewing it with them. And so that consistency helps them to understand like, this is safe. This is planned. Like I'm Mm -hmm. not just running around willy nilly. Um, like there is a plan. Um, I, I also always have, um, do my best to have snacks or suckers or sometimes both on me. Um, when things are going downhill, a lot of times you can say, do you need a snack? And it just like, there's something about that. That's like a magical word. Um, and it just like trips something in their brain and it's like, yeah, I need a snack, you know, yeah. <laughs> and it stops that would actually help people where they are <laughs> in their tracks and it helps them. And, and it's not always, but that, that nine times out of 10 will work. Um, that's the best distraction, huh? Snack. Yeah. It's like squirrel. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I always think that like a, a sucker is like a, a, a big kid kind of like passy sometimes, you know, like oh, sometimes yeah. everybody just needs to stop. And when you think about what we're doing and calm down for a minute, you know, mm-hmm. and a sucker lets you do that before, <laughs> before you go on to the next thing. So I love that. Those are awesome. I mean, those are so helpful, so practical, so doable um, Mm -hmm. for anybody traveling. Um, and I'm just want to say, I love how you say this and I'm learning this from you tonight, today, the, um, you, instead of saying kids with trauma, you're saying kids from a hard place. You've said that like three or four times. And I love that. I love the way that that's worded. Um, it doesn't seem as, um, I don't know, like 
labeling or aggressive or mm-hmm. um, I'd like that mm-hmm. and I'm going to use that. I mean, where, did you did you come up with that on your own? Is that something for your family? Have you heard that or? No, that's a that's a great point. Um, that's something we actually picked up. Um, one of the the methods that we really um, like to to use and think about as we work with um, really all of our kids or any kids in general is is a method called TBRI, um, and it was created by um, Dr. Karen Purvis, and people can look them up. I, I highly recommend um, pretty much all that they, they share um, about how to, to help your kids. Um, but they came up with the hard places, um, and that's where I mm. first ran into that terminology. And like you said, it just it, – I, I will use trauma. Like, the, the, I mean, it's a real thing, and, and nobody mm-hmm. tries to pretend like it's not a real thing, but – it is a little bit of a softer word, and that was the whole reason I started using it. So that's a that's a good point. <laughs> yeah, no, I love that. Such great stuff, Mal. Anything else? Anything else, Julie? Anything else that you can think of that like is so important for our listeners to hear around this topic of traveling with kids from a hard place? I would say that you know, at, at the end of the day, they're still kids, you know, and mm-hmm. it's always a hard balance. Um, you know, wondering if the reaction that they're giving you is because they are um, just being a kid or if they're coming from a, a place of trauma, something triggered them. Um, and, and that's just going to, you know, naturally be a part of your, your life as you have these kids become a part of your family. Um, mm-hmm. But it's hard sometimes, but I still tell people to, to do it because it makes you a better person. Um from for having to from going out and and pushing yourself and having these experiences and um it it, for us it just is a really great bonding experience um and I I, my biggest encouragement is just go and do it give it a try Mm -hmm. and if something doesn't work like it doesn't mean that you give up on traveling or having fun experiences in general it just means we learned another way that we're not going to do it next time we're going to figure out something else that works for our kids um you know maybe we don't go to the fireworks show because that's not gonna that's not gonna end well for anybody here you know right um but we can still go to you know the magic kingdom we just don't stay for the fireworks show um right there's lots of things out there that you can do and I would just tell people don't give up don't give up Mm -hmm. because this is a hard work it's a good work um but but just don't give up yeah it seems like with the same with a lot of things in adoption like it's really hard but it's worth it absolutely yeah yeah and so many of the things that you are saying and your family Julie is like a perfect example of why we do what we do with funding love because the, the travel and those experiences you have as a family, we say strengthen bonds, build community, and restore people. And that's kind of what you've been saying this entire time is those experiences, although hard, they're strengthening your bonds. They're building that community. They're restoring you, your children. Their past experiences are hopefully sloughing off a little bit more with each trip and as your bond strengthens, which is just like makes my heart so happy to to, to feel like there is that need and funding love is doing that. Absolutely. That's why we're so passionate about everything that Funding Love does and our families that come and be a part of it is 
I've seen the benefit for my family. Mm -hmm. Like I have seen how my children have changed over the years and how they've learned and they've grown. And you would not believe some of the stories that I I could tell you from when we first started traveling with them to now. And, And granted, some of that is just age, but a lot of it is also just this development and experience and, um, all of the things that's important about finding love. And that's why we're passionate about finding love is because we have seen the power of it in our own family. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for serving with us, Julie. I don't know what we would do without you. (laughs) I don't know either. (laughs) Honestly, whenever we're stuck, we're like, let's call Julie. We love you so much. (laughs) It's so true. You're such like a wise voice as well. So thanks for um, being here today and talking about all of this, but we do Kate and I like to kind of surprise and delight, if you will, our guests and kind of end on a more happy note um, and try to remember to do this. But we would like to ask you just like a fun Disney question. So our Disney question for you is, what is your favorite Disney resort you've ever stayed at? Oh, that is a really good question. Um, I would say I have favorites for different reasons. Um, If I had to pick a favorite overall... I know it's so hard. I don't think I could, I don't think I could answer it. Oh, it's so hard. Um, I'm going to probably go with the Grand Californian. Oh, you love that answer over Alani, huh? I love that. I loved Alani. I really did. Um, But it's really hard to... I mean, like, literally, you could love everything about Hawaii. I mean, sure, sure. It's amazing. But the, like, when I think about Disney itself, um, like, it, it's the parks, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and the Grand Californian, like, we had a, a balcony room that overlooked um, the River Pixar Rapids Pier. ride. And, oh, the River Rapids. Yeah. Yes. Oh, how fun. Yeah. We just, like, went down the elevator and, like, went out the gate and we were in the park and it was just, like so fun pure magic it's the The best best. yeah it really is because yeah what is it it's called um what is that river rapids called uh grizzly river run grizzly river run i remember that it was like a colder time when we were there and jack really wanted to ride it so we went and rode it and then ran right back to our room to change our clothes because it was too wet too cold to be like wet Mm -hmm. and like it's so convenient it's so magical that's a great answer yep yeah, it was so close that the the one of the cast members even said he goes. We said, "How do, how is the fastest way to get to the Disneyland park? Because it overlooks the Grand Cal or the California Adventures." And he said, "Well, it's actually best if you have a park hopper to just go through California yep. Adventures <laughs> out to, to and across the plaza to Disneyland, just like straight walking across. around." And we're like, "Really? <laughs> so. so cool! It's such a great resort." Well, thank you so much for being here with us today, Julie. And well, I'm sure we'll have you on again um, to talk about all things funding love and adoption. Yeah, so grateful for you. Always a joy. So thanks for tuning in this week, everyone. And we will see you next week. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Funding Love Podcast. We are a crowdfunded nonprofit, which means that people like you can make a lasting impact on the adoption community through your generous support. You can give online today at fundinglove.com backslash donate. Hi, my name is Adam, and I support Funding Love because I support adoptive families and their ability to make memories together on special experiences that they may not get to experience otherwise. 
The gift of adoption is so special to so many. And why I support Funding Love is because I want to see those families who participated in such a special thing make memories together. I help create post-adoption experiences that strengthen bonds, build community, and restore people. I am Funding Love.